Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Huddersfield Town Social, the only Huddersfield Town podcast that if we were in charge, we wouldn't have an afternoon tea, we would have a sop supper, bingo, and half a shilling, singing Tom Edwards, send that bugger back. Anyway, my name's Greg Mora, I've, uh, I'm from my back from my hiatus, and joining me, as always, Ian Kilroy and Gaz K as well. Um, we shall start with... Um, what can only be described as the most mundane game I've been to in about a month. Uh, as, as Huddersfield Town drew one all with Plymouth Argyle, Plymouth took the lead through Morgan Whitaker before Town got a little bit lucky. But it was a good finish by Josh Caroma just before half time, um, which then led to probably one of the worst second halves, I think, um, the lack of entertainment we've seen since uh, Mrs. Brown Boy's Christmas special. So, gentlemen, your thoughts on the game? Yeah, it, it wasn't good, was it? That is for sure. Um, it was it, it was turgid stuff. Let's be fair; they were two really, really, really poor teams. Um, I wouldn't be in out of place in League Two that game, would it? Let's be fair. Um, we didn't really play with much of a pattern. Not really sure what Moore had set the team up to do. Um, you know, the press was abysmal. Back three kept getting the ball and and then just playing it into a centre midfielder who had a a Plymouth player right at his back, so they just gave it back again. Um, although in the second half, we didn't really force the game. I, you know, I think their first their goal was was against the run of play. We were we were sort of doing okay, but then you know, one ball took out the, the entire centre midfield and and left the the lad who whose name I can't pronounce, the tricky left winger, in acres of space. And, and how often do I moan about people not closing crosses down? Well, we just managed again. You know, help yourself, mate. Get it in there. And Brody Spencer, who I thought actually had a decent game, was completely lost at the back post by Whitaker, and it was a tidy finish, in fairness. And, and you're right, Greg, we dragged ourselves back into it. Um, we, we 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 won it. I mean, how, how it wasn't a foul, I still, I'll never know, really, for uh, for Matos for the goal. But it was a cute finish by Josh. But that was it. You know, I, I think that was probably the best we were going to hope for. And... and yeah, it just felt like that Darren Moore had gone from great news. We're not losing now. We must hold that position and and take at least a point from this game. And I think I guess it depends on whether you view the game as being a a mustn't lose or a must win. Um, but certainly from a a mustn't lose point of view, he definitely delivered. But I mean, I, we were just talking before we came on about his press conference about the game and his view on the performance and. You know, I mean, he talks about in the second half having a great appetite and impetus to score and win the game. Well, I don't know what game you were watching, Darren, but it was a completely different one to me. So, yeah, it was disappointing. The game was crying out, really, for uh, for him just to do something. But he stuck with 5-3-2 when we haven't really got two strikers. Didn't change the centre midfield. Didn't go for us up to a back flat, flat back four. I know the bench was skinny, but he didn't bring, he didn't bring Wiles on. He brought young Tom Iopender on instead. He, he looked tidy enough, but... You know, relying on an eighteen-year-old kid to come on and turn a game. You know, do summit, chuck a centre half up top. Just do, just do summit, man. Because at the moment we're uh, we're on a fast track to relegation, aren't we? With the way that it's going. Hey, first up, Greg. Nice to have you back. As cheerful as ever, I must say, with a wonderful introduction. But sent on Edwards back. He's going to live long in my memory, man. Anyway, <laughs> I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that. But I think it's important to look at this game. You kind of have to step back a little bit and, and see these next four games, including the Plymouth game we've just had, in in how important they are for dictating the successfulness of our season in that you've got Plymouth that 
going into the oh, I'll, get, I'll get to them last, but you've got Plymouth we just had, right? Then we've next up we've got um is it Blackburn and then QPR, two teams that are at the bottom of the form table as of today. In the last six and eight games, they are both 24th and 23rd when it comes to form. I think both of them have either drawn one, lost five, or depending if you, if you go up to eight, but they, they are struggling. And then Sheffield Wednesday at home, which must be a game we've got to look at to try and win. So you've got four games here before the really hard fixtures kick in where we need to maximise how many points we're, we're going to take. And I think we spoke about before, guys, on, on our last podcast, we're looking at between seven and nine points as a kind of baseline and something to build upon, right? So if you're targeting those points, one point against Plymouth on the face of it isn't too bad, but it puts extra pressure on the next few games. But you also have to look how Plymouth have come into this game and that we're at home, right? We're playing against a team that hasn't won away all season long. It's a long, long journey. They've got a new manager who's pretty unknown. He's come from Saudi Arabia leagues, hasn't he? Is it Ian Forrester? I think it is. But he's come from the, uh, the Saudi Arabian leagues. He's, he's been around a bit, but he's not come with a reputation where players are suddenly going to think, right, I'm going to go play for him. He's going to have to feel his way in a little bit. So, but he's obviously not also been here. So he won't have an eye on what players Plymouth have really available to him and, and the niches and, and, and the nous of how they can play in different systems just yet, right? And that's what you want for a town to play a team like that's exactly what you want in these kind of games. Then add to the um add to the mix that Plymouth have had um issues with players being recalled back in that Schumacher took uh, Luke Kundle, I think, to to um Stoke with him. Not directly, but they recalled him uh, Wolves and then he took him back out there. So they've lost that. Then lost, I think it's Aziz. Aziz or something. He's, he was recalled and then sold to Middlesbrough. So they're really missing key players. And their form isn't great either. They're only four points above us, but they are above us. And obviously there's quite a gap between us and the relegations on going into it on Saturday as well. So you did know that they were going to come and look and be accepting of a point because it keeps us quite a fair way away from them. And it was good, always going to take some sort of initiative for our mothers to take the game to Argyle because they're happy with a point. They're fine with it. Everything played in our favour to have a bit of a go. And the game starts, and, and like you said there, guys, both teams look fucking awful. They're trying to roll it out at the back. They're playing it around and getting caught. That's where both goals came from, messing about. There's so many chances coming. But, and, 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 but Town weren't either high-pressing it. We kind of, Argyle didn't look great at the back, but we didn't really high-press them either, even though it wasn't working. The only person flying in was Alex Matos, which I think we'll speak about in a little bit on his performances and how eager he seems to be into the tackle. But bar him, everything was very pedestrian. And like you said, we, we work our way into trouble realistically. I thought Spencer Brody was man of the match over the 90 minutes for me. But yes, for the for the goal, he's lost Morgan Whitaker. And you can't lose Morgan Whitaker. But that, that that's another little aside I think it's important to point out is we've got no strikers and they've got so much trouble in their own results and, and where they're dropping down the league, but they've still got a 15-goal striker in the team. They've still got a guy who's got six in the last six games after Saturday, and we don't have anyone even available to play up front who's a designated striker. We're having to, to play two wingers up there. That's what Plymouth Argyle, a, newly, a, a, a team newly promoted from, from League One, have available to them, and we don't even have that. When the game goes as it does on Saturday, Plymouth is sitting back. We get back into the game with a bit of nice work from Alex Matos, where I think it was a clear foul, to be honest, on the Plymouth guy. I'm not entirely sure how that wasn't uh, given. It was about as clear a tackle, as clear a foul as you could actually see in the championship all weekend. But for some reason, the referee let it go. Karoma had a nice little pass there from Sauber Thomas, but he had a lot to do. But it was a typical Karoma finish. We're all massive fans of Josh Karoma on here when he's on. And he was on, and he, he put it away nicely. But it just felt like that second half was a time to have a go at him. Plymouth for one up, they lost the lead psychologically before half time. It blows your mind. It just, it really is hard to come back from when you're struggling away from home. That second half, you're thinking, right, we're going to go out of here. And instead, it's like Darren Moore just went out and said, 
right, boys, let's not lose it from here. Let's just we, we, let's keep the ball. Let's keep possession for the first time. Let's let's dictate play by just holding the ball, and we'll get chances. It was a reliance that chances had kind of come our way rather than would have to work for it. The problem is we don't have any creative players. So where are these chances going to come from? All season, Town have not been able to create chances from open play. Town get chances from high press and counter-attacking football. Plymouth know that. They're like, right, you play. You try and beat us. You try and beat us. And all we did was pass sideways, pass backwards, create nothing, and the fans eventually get on the back. What frustrated me more than anything on Saturday was like Gaz has said, Johnny Ogg, I didn't think were necessary at uh, DCM there. We, want, we, we didn't need him. They weren't pressing. They were never going to press. They were going to sit for the point. Johnny Ogg isn't necessary. Bring Ben Wiles on. I, I know a lot of people don't really like him, but it gives us a fresh impetus, I think, in that his ability to turn and drive the ball forward isn't Lewis O'Brien levels, but there's elements there of what he brought to town, Ben Wiles can do in small patches. And when you look what else is on the bench, there's no one else we can go to, so we just have to give it a go. And like you say, it went with Tommy Pender instead, which I don't think was a bad shout. And I thought, I thought he looks okay. I'd have had both on. Matos were going to get himself sent off. He had to be changed. I get that. But Ben Wiles is there. He's not even giving it a go. And I just feel like that reluctance to change anything when the team really isn't asking questions in Plymouth. You've got to, you've got to try something, don't you? Because now we're going into these next three easy games. And, and to me, we're two points behind where we should have been because Plymouth were in a poor position. Everything was against them. And what did we do? We made it really easy for him. We didn't even ask him any questions. It was just like, right, boys, we'll take a point. You take a point. Let's move on and just go from there. The fear of losing was evident on that pitch for town on Saturday. And okay, my my opinion is the squad isn't good enough. And if we do open up, we are going to get caught. If I'm the coach, I'd be thinking that maybe, maybe, devil's advocate, I'd do the same thing. But then you can't be surprised at the fans getting on the coach's back and getting on the team's back and booing at the end of it because that, to me, is just not inspirational at all. It's about as depressing a game of football I've I've seen at town for for quite a while. I'd rather we'd have had a go though, and and got beat. I'd rather we'd have actually done something. You know, he stuck with the back five and Jonathan Ogg, as you say. Didn't go to a diamond in midfield. Didn't didn't try anything. You know, I mean, look at the success we had when you used to lump F up front when you just wanted some chaos ball. And a centre house and midfield aren't, create, aren't capable of passing or creating chances. Then stick somebody up front and let's just go long. Just stick Ellick up front and knock it long for the last 10 or 15. But we did absolutely nothing. We caused them zero problems. And their keeper made a couple of saves, but they were really routine saves, weren't they? And as always, we had plenty of set piece, uh, set piece chances, and the delivery was abysmal. So, you know, I. It's easy to say when you haven't lost and you've taken the point, but genuinely, I'd rather we'd had a go and lost than, than take a point because I think we need wins. One point here and there isn't enough anymore now. We need some points. We need some well, wins. Well, that's why I get, guys, with Plymouth, right? They're four points ahead of us and four, and we're four points ahead of the relegation. They're eight points. I think you can kind of limp over the line in games like Saturday if you're away from home. I think you can do it that way, but for us, we can't. We can't. We gotta, we've got to find some kind of method to, to create and... And I just didn't see it on Saturday, and I found it I found it very surprising because I expected at least us to have that goal, like you say, chuck someone on up top. I know we don't have many people, but just just have a bit of a go. Like last year, it were Pearson doing it, wasn't it? Whenever games felt like we had a bit of a chance, Warnock went right, Matty, get up there and do your job, and he did time after time after time. And Helic is on fire this season when it comes to goals. Like I said, just just try it. The game was there to be won if you gave it a chance, and and. I don't know what you think, Greg, but I just didn't see any of it. It just wasn't there for me. And it, it's not been there all season, but I just thought eventually it would be there, and especially with Kevin in the stadium too. 
I, I can't really judge because he got to 83 minutes and I walked out the ground because um, I was genuinely bored. And it, it sounds terrible, but there were a lot of us all walking out at the same time. I'll be the same basis. We can get into the pub early for the uh, for the half uh, half five uh, City Newcastle game, which doesn't particularly bode well f- for town. But on no strikers, and it has to be said, Plymouth have taken four points off us this season. And I think the key thing between the two sides is the goal came from uh, at Barley Mumba, who whipped it in for Morgan Whitaker. Plymouth went out and signed players in in the summer. Um, they were both instrumental uh, down at Home Park first game of the season, and. They came together again. They weren't as effective as as Gazi said. They've lost a fair few players. Kesler Hayden's now uh, been recalled to Aston Villa. Looks like he's um he might be off to West Bromwich Albion or, or a few few other clubs sniffing around. But th- there was very very little there, and the, the fact that you know a few of us having a pint up behind the south stand didn't realise the second half had begun because it was so mundane. Then we when we got in. We missed 10 minutes and the, the lads behind us are chanting Neil Warnock's Barmy Army. He was bordering on a on a kind of toxic atmosphere and I, I, I do fear for the club itself, despite what everything else has been said, which again, we'll come on to slightly later. But the thing that kept being said is why haven't we recalled Jordan Rhodes? And the lack of a number nine was just evident because a fox in the box is, is what you need in these kind of games. And I don't know what you think. We, we've missed that chance. DTS told Oggy in the interview that we've missed the uh, the opportunity to recall him from Blackpool. On, on a personal level, I, I'm, I'm glad because I'd rather see him just score goals and enjoy himself because he's been a great servant to Huddersfield Town Football Club. But on a personal level, as in Huddersfield Town, I'm thinking, get him back. We need goals, not bloody Kyle Udlin. It's a real. It's, the Rhodes thing is a real weird one, isn't it? I, I, yeah, I, I, there there must be there must be other strikers in the pipeline. There's no way you'd leave League One's top scorer, who's on your payroll, not the club he's playing for, if you haven't got another option lined up. I mean, the fact we managed to break Radulovic within you know, in less than a week in the building, and and that was something else. I actually took the trouble to listen to Darren Moore's post-match press conference, I normally can't abide him, but I actually took the trouble to listen to it, and apparently, he had his fitness test, uh, and then it was a, quote, collective decision that he didn't play. I mean, he doesn't even take responsibility for deciding whether he plays players or not. So it's no wonder people don't really know what he stands for. Um, probably just, it's just, the, the road thing just makes my mind boggle. It wouldn't surprise me, by the way, if we hadn't realised the deadline was the 5th of January, where it was. Honestly, I don't think that's too unfair to say. There's a real chance they missed that and only clocked it afterwards. Hello, is that Blackpool? Yes. Could you send well, Jordan Kevin, back? I'll, on. I'll jump in there. I'm sorry, I'll jump mate. In there because Kevin on Kevin Nagel on the Radio Lee's interview, what DTS had to jump in and, and, and suggest, it sounded to me like he wasn't very aware of it. And okay, he's not no. the football guy, but he, he wasn't aware that that wrote. And I thought that discussion, so something so important where you, like you say, he's top goal scorer in League One, would have gone past the most important person at the club because it is such a big decision to to leave him there. But I, I jumped in there, guys. Sorry, one. No, no, you're that. And he's one of our big earners as well, Ian. So, you know, what? what's the score with his wages? You know, maybe that they've taken the decision because Blackpool are paying a massive chunk of all of his wages. So we're enjoying that, uh, you know, that weekly saving benefit. But I can't see it, can you? 
Blackpool are a League One club with, with fairly modest means, so I'm not sure they're paying a, a championship striker wages. Even even at our level, Jordan's on biggish money, isn't he? Relatively speaking, so yeah, it's a real odd one. I, you know, I was encouraged by um, are we call him Radulovic or Radulovic. What what we're going with, I don't really know, but um, I, I was encouraged by his cameo at, at City. I thought he looked tidy, created a chance, hit the target, which we have lots of strikers who seem to have trouble hitting the target, don't we? Um, but I'm, get, I'm still getting slightly frustrated by people saying we've got five and six strikers out injured. Well, we haven't, have we? You know, you, the counting people like Kieran Phillips and Hudlin, who are they're nowhere near championship ready. You know, you can debate whether Kieran Harrett was or is, but you know, he'd only played a handful of games before he got injured, you know, quite badly injured, clearly. And Danny Ward, I mean, that's fast turning into a bit of a joke, isn't it? You know, I'm sure if Warnock was in the building, he'd have played half of the games uh, since since he's gone, but it's just not. So we just have to keep our fingers crossed that, uh, you know, Radulovic is back for, for Blackburn and QPR because without him, you know, it's going to be really easy for them two teams, isn't it? They can just sit deep and say, go on then, boys. And, and we've got absolutely zero attacking quality. Nothing. thing is, we're, we're a team built to, to score on the counter-attack, or we have been, aren't we, up until, well, Saturday, because we didn't try and counter-attack, Right. And that is the focal point of our attacks was Delano Bergsall. Now, he's out injured at the moment. And and I've got no one really knows. Everything's really hush hush at the moment on injuries, isn't it? Like we don't really find out how long people are out for. And I understand that because you get a competitive advantage of not telling anybody else, right? But for for a fan base, it's pretty frustrating when you can see no strikers. The striker we do have in Delano Bergsall, who's fit for this system, and we kind of can get results if he's playing in it. He's unplayable some weeks. If the game's right for him, he's great. But if he's out now until the end of the season, we need to go out and get a new one straight away. Or if he's out for two, three months, especially when these next three three games, as we spoke about already, if 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 he's not ready for them, we need someone now. We need we needed somebody in last week. We've been told all the time you need to get players in so they can prepare for the system they're going to play. In. We need to get up to shape. We need to get them fit. Blah blah blah. Like Radulovic, he's come. From, we spoke about it in our last podcast. Coming from the Finnish leagues into the championship is a massive step up, both ability wise and physicality wise, and 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 speed. You've got three aspects to it there. He's not played properly since October. They had a couple of games in December, but in, in European in the European qualifiers and, and stuff. But generally he's, he's only played he hasn't played properly since October. You can play as many training games as you want. It's different. You can't count that as being match fit, right? So of course it was going to be a big, a big learning curve, even just getting ready to play for us, right? I thought it were all right against Man City. But by the by, when it came to Jordan Rhodes and not bringing him back initially, right? On my mind, in my mind. We're playing with Sauber Thomas wide one, Karoma wide on the other side. Rodoni is the 10. And then you need a fast striker, right? So if John Rose isn't coming back at that point, okay, if, we, if we're going out to get some... I, I still want the two strikers. Um, I want two fast strikers to be alternatives for Delano if he's out injured. As we find ourselves, that's what we need, right? Because I think we need that pace, especially if we're sitting so deep, not much of a midfield, not controlling games, hitting on the break, pressing high like we did at Sunderland, right? That's what you need. Fine. Next minute... We've brought in Radulovic, who does not fit that mould whatsoever, right? So now my mindset on Rhodes has changed. So I'm like, well, hang on. If we're going to go with a taller striker that's not as quick, can, can, good at scoring, his goal-scoring uh, shot per goal ratio is 0.27, which is apparently really good. Jordan Rhodes' this season is 0.30. It's better now at his age than Radulovic's was in the Finnish league last year, right? And that's he's only effectively playing for a team... 10, 12 places below us in the football pyramid, right? 
So, so to me, I'm not saying obviously Rhodes isn't six foot three, but we know he's good in the air when it comes to finishing, right? He's he's not an identical player, but he's a player to me that's gonna fit a system that also fits him in. Rhodes now plays ninety minutes every week. Is 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 sharp. He's scoring for fun. I looked into his figures the other day, and in the last five seasons, I think the last season he wouldn't have got this was fifteen sixteen when he was in the championship, right? But since then, he's not really played week in, week out. But if he had have done, he'd have still averaged 15 to 16 goals a season at whatever level he's at. He just didn't get the minutes. And yes, I understand that you earn the minutes and, and, and that he might not, people say he's not right for today's modern football with wing-backs and a blah, blah, whatever. On goals alone, his goal-scoring record, given the minutes, is sufficient, right? And we know how good he can be when he's on form. And, he, and when strikers are on form, you play your hot hand, you give him a chance. We could have brought him back on the 1st of January and had him for Plymouth. And say he'd have played second half at Plymouth and bags the winner two points. That could be enough to keep us up. And he's worth the extra 9.11 million or whatever. It's worth to be in the championship over League One. That's before you look at sponsorships. So to leave him there and to be playing with so few options when it comes to strikers, to me, is reckless and bold, right? Maybe it pays off and we're all sat here with egg on our face because we've brought two more strikers in before the end of the window. But it's hard to sit here now and think of it as a good move to leave Jordan Rose where he's at. I'm with you guys. I'm not entirely sure people were fully aware of the clauses of when we had to bring him back. Um, and maybe that was a part of it. But I was talking yesterday to somebody, right? Jordan Rose, we could have called back. We could have called him back at the beginning of January, tried him out for the month, and then sent him back out on loan at the end of January if we didn't get all the transfers done. Why? He's, he's, he's top goal scorer in League One. There's always going to be a taker for him. Yeah, it might cost us a bit of money here, there, and everywhere, but the contingency of Jordan Rhodes with us when we've got no one else left, surely it has to be worth a go. Instead, we're going to these next three games. And as of today, what, Tuesday the 16th, is it? This, we've we've got no fit strikers. We've got none. There's not a fit striker in the club. And we've got three games that are going to dictate the end of this season. And we could have brought Jordan Rhodes back in, yeah, he's older. But Corey Blackett-Taylor we've been linked with today, right? He's 28, I think. Never scored at championship level, not with any kind of numbers. And he scored 15... In championship as in, in League One, just like Jordan Rhodes has, but we'll, but apparently this is what annoys me with town fans as well. Though they're suggesting like, oh, Rhodes is gone, he's past it, he's have been. But next minute, we're pretty happy about a twenty-eight-year-old coming in that's only a few years younger than Jordan Rhodes and has never actually done it at this level. It's it's a crazy, crazy call to leave him there, and we won't understand how brave or stupid it is until at least February the first, and probably not until May, early May. But it's a big call and. Darren Moore slash uh, Cartwright slash Jake Edwards and even Kevin Nagel's tenure is going to be dictated a little bit but by th that call because strikers win games. And if, if we don't win enough between now and the end of the season, we don't have anyone scoring goals, this is going to be questioned. Yeah, Tom linked to uh, Devante Cole uh, at Barnsley, who's um, only ever scored double figures at League One or Scottish Premiership level. Uh, four times in his career, so um, not particularly best pleased. Um, uh, although Cardiff and Hull are also links, which probably means we're, we're not going to get him anyway. Um, hopefully there's a gem of a Premier League loan out there for us to pinch. Speaking of a gem of a Premier League loan, Mr Matos has come in, as we've said. He looks a bit kamikaze. Um, ruined my fantasy team by taking out a kanji last week at, at the Etihad, and uh, um, obviously, technically got the 
I'm calling it an assist when he absolutely went through the Plymouth player to set us up for that first goal. But he looks a he looks a very good player. Obviously, he had a, a good start to his career at Norwich, and then and the other one that's come back, and and this is where I question we're getting six in and six back or whatever uh, from from the hierarchy at the club. Are we including loans back? But as we've said, Brody Spencer as well has done quite well, looked quite a, a proficient against uh, against City. Was playing out of position for himself on the left side of a back three um, on Saturday. But both of them have come in and, and young players, a bit of energy, pretty decent compared to what we've been witnessing in the last six, eight weeks. He brought a bit of physicality, did Matos, but in a different way to that of Jonathan Hogg. I thought he, you know, he, he made it really difficult for, for certain members of the Plymouth midfield and he, Press well, and I'm with you, Craig. I mean, he absolutely wiped that bloke out. If that's the other way around, I'm going absolutely mental. So I know, really, in fact, it's a ref of crap anyway. He really was poor. Um, but yeah, you know, he brings energy, and I think he could turn out to be a a decent, decent loan sign. And I think he just brings a bit of dynamism to a midfield, which is, you know, Jonathan Hogg is very limited now in his movement. You know, he plays where he plays and he does what he does. And, and generally speaking, he's the first name on the team sheet still for most managers. Uh, but I just think Matos brings us something a little bit different. And and, and I was, I'm with you. I was impressed by Brody Spencer. I was surprised we'd sent him out to Motherwell. I thought he might be one of those that they got a chance this season anyway. But the, the both of them, from a physical point of view, they look like men. When they were playing on Saturday, they looked like men and 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 not boys. So, you know, maybe the trip to Motherwell for for Brody has done him some real good. And and as we found with Lewis O'Brien when he went to Bradford and one or two others, you know, Jack Hunt when he went to Chesterfield, they come back and that that first team week in week out pressure of playing in front of big crowds and demanding. You know, he will played at Rangers and Celtic, no doubt, or played against Rangers and Celtic. You know, he'll have played in front of full stadiums. So. So yeah, I think it's encouraging. Like Matt's just he is my worry with Matt is he's either a, a serious injury or a red card walking. That's my only concern. And and you would hope playing alongside somebody like Jonathan Hogg, Hogg will just just rein him in a little bit so it doesn't get uh, over effusive. And we, we you know we don't want refs looking for him, do we? That we don't want. But yeah, I was I was really encouraged with him, mate. I think it's another Chelsea loan that looks like they've done us a decent favour, I think. We've had a lot of success, haven't we, with Chelsea ones, like you say, guys. Um, and I, I really like Alex Matos. I thought when we came, when he came in, it, it, the history is like he was an attacking midfielder, wasn't it? And he's transferred, trans, transitioned into a to a holding role. That normally happens when you don't get the assists you're expected to get, and they try you out somewhere else. But there's no way he can play at this level the entire season. He throws himself in like no man's business. He shouldn't have been playing Saturday because he should have been sent off against Man City when he elbowed Rico Lewis. I think it back ahead, and then play carried on, and he just absolutely nearly murdered Akanji just just for a good measure. And he got away. That to me, either two yellow cards, potential red card for the first one. I'm not entirely sure I could have given for the second. He's just he's carnage. He's absolutely carnage, and he's only nineteen. Like he, he does like it. Like you can see, like when we used to have uh, an academy with players being through the town system through the right all the way through, and they got the debuts like Makaliski and Broadbent and and Jimmy Spencer, players like that, right? And you can see them, the effort they put in when they first come on to the to the ground, like they're, they're just at it because it's the debut, they're ready. They're, and this is what Alex Matos is doing for us as well. Like you can see, he's giving everything because it's the first time he's played senior football for a for a first team, and he's leaving nothing on the bench. Only thing is, 
he will get a reputation for it and, and referees will start picking him up and he'll end up getting warned earlier than, than he's been getting at the moment because he's he just tackles anything that moves, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I'd shit myself if I got the ball in midfield and he were playing. So I understand what happened the weekend with the Plymouth lad. Like you could see him just delay, expect a free kick, and then fortunately should have got the free kick, but but fortunately for, for us, Alex Matos looks like a good addition for the way we play football. He's going to really stop teams playing in the middle because you're going, they're going to be terrified. They are going to be terrified. He might not be a, a massive bloke that'd win a fight, but when you get the ball to your feet, back to your, back to the opponent's goal. And you can hear him. You can feel it. We we can. When someone runs as hard as he does, you can literally feel it on the ground as he's getting closer to you. And they ain't going to be holding that ball. They'll be getting rid of it straight away. He can really disrupt any other team's play for me in this division. Can he do much on the ball? Can he dictate play when we have possession in games like on Saturday? I'm not sure he can at all. No, I don't think he's that kind of player. But there will be games where he's going to be fantastic for us. But it won't be every game. And it's going to be a fine line. I think he's going to with Johnny Worthing and booking reputation where he's going to get so many suspensions because of the amount of bookings he's going to take. But then when you're a poor team and you can't dictate play, you need players like that in it. They really can help keep a team together. We know our centre-backs, when all fit, between Pearson, Hellick, Lees and Nakiet, Nakiyama if he's here, they're as good as anyone in this division for me. They might not be able to be great on the ball, but stopping teams, they are solid. Johnny Og in front of them, solid. David Kasumu, busy, solid. And I think Alex Matos can be added to that and we can be really difficult to score against. I think it's another good addition that helps us solidify solidify the centre of the field that will mean we can get points. I don't think it helps us win games, but I think it stops a rot potentially setting in that I don't expect us to lose 3 or 4-0 anymore. I think with the core that we've got, unless it's Southampton, like top, top few teams aside, I think with the core that we've got, we are solid. We just now have to go out and find the answers. Brody Spencer looks fantastic. It is a bit like Jack Hunt's my comparison there, guys, too. I think that's what it feels like to me. He's not as good on the ball going forward as Jack Hunt was. But again, when Jack Hunt went away and we had good things and he came back, we knew straight away we were going to be okay. And when you watch him, you're like, oh, no, he's shit up. He feels like Brody Spencer doesn't offer that same excitement because he's not the attacking player Jack Hunt is. But Jack Grealish couldn't do much against him. And if you can do that to a million-pound winger like Jack Grealish, then you can handle yourself in the championship just fine. He did cause the goal. He were ball watching, but he's 19. Scottish Premier League isn't championship football. You make a mistake at championship football against a striker like Morgan Whitaker, he pops it away and eventually you learn and adapt and you don't ball watch because you know you need to be on your man the entire time. And he'll get there and he'll do it. I'm actually with the club when they're suggesting that's kind of like a new signing. It rarely happens when a guy comes back on loan and it's like, oh, or injury, it's like a new signing. Brody Spencer's never played for us before as a first team, really, has it? Was it? Has he actually played for us before the Man City? Was it his first proper game he's not even subbed for us before I think that was his first start wasn't it like he'd had a couple of sub appearances right so so it's like his debut and he is like a new player and he looks like he's ready to go and and already you can see if Ben Jackson's on right and he's on left I think we're okay at wing back and I think I think we've got a bit of flexibility there in the system but we obviously need to find another centre back when it comes back to transfers because we don't want him at left centre back He'll, he's not a left centre back he's, he's a wing back or a full back and I think we'll have him for quite a while. I think he's going to be a bit of a staple for town because he's one of those players that doesn't stand out. I don't think he's ever going to look a 10 out of 10 player, but you're going to chuck him in there. You're going to get a 7 out of 10 performance from him every week with few mistakes when he matures and learns how to play the game at this level. But I think it's great to see, especially because he's one of our own. In, in this academy structure that we have at the moment, he's one of our guys, isn't he? And it, it's just nice when when you see him step up and, and isn't just not a weak link, but he's one of the... More solid players, and again, man of the match for me on the weekend. 
Oh, that's Plymouth done. Um, Huddersfield Town sit 21st in the Championship. Uh, only five wins all season. Most draws in the uh, now in the in the Championship, which is a lovely record to have. Um, four points clear of Sheffield Wednesday. And, and speaking of the, the ilk of Sheffield Wednesday, Blackburn Rovers and Queen's Park Rangers, they are the next three games. And uh, in an ideal world, I think they are going to be nine points. But... Um, Season-defining games, um, as uh, Ian, you mentioned it, and I'm just going on the last five fixtures, Blackburn have taken one out of 15, QPR one out of 15, Wednesday two wins, they're, they're looking a little bit better, but certainly QPR and, and Blackburn at the next two fixtures. It goes back to what Gaz said earlier, is it is it a must-win or must-not-lose? Either way, town need points, and these are the two best fixtures you probably want all season. I think you're looking at five. I think for the next three games, as a bare minimum now, we need five points. I think you can draw the first two, beat Wednesday. I think you, I think it's some sort of platform you can build upon. But that's worst case scenario. I think any less than that, it's an absolute disaster. But realistically, you're going to be looking at winning two of them and drawing one of them. I think seven points for me is is ideal. I think five points is the bare minimum. But like you say, when they're out of form, but then Plymouth were as well. The... the we don't take the initiative. The only thing that will change here, I think, Plymouth were happy to sit back. I don't think Blackburn and QPR can. They know they're going to have to go at us as well. And that really does play into our, our strengths if we have pace up top, if we have a pacey striker who can put the ball away and now we won't. But it's just built pressure, hasn't it, on, on us in that we have to get results now and everyone senses it. I know they're not really speaking about it in the club. Darren Moore's not mentioned it in his conferences. Nagel's not mentioned it yet. But these next three games are crucial. And like you say, when you're getting teams on, in no form, can't score a goal, Blackburn is literally falling in on itself. QPR looked fantastic as soon as he got Ravens with. I'm like, oh, you look at the squad, it looks really, really good. Jack Colbert's in there, they've got Elias Che. They've got good players. The only thing that might help us here is later on in the season, if QPR do get a points deduction that is is rumoured for, is it financial? I don't know if, the, what, what is it for, uh, Gaz? Do you know, do you know what it's actually? It's F- is it FFP, I think? Is it FFP? Well, there's a potential 10-point deduction there. So even more so, they're going to have to go to win that game, aren't they? If they've got that coming as well. We're going to have teams that are coming at us, which makes them play into our hands to be able to counter-attack like we have done successfully the last in the few games where we've done okay with Darren Moore. But the pressure on these games are unmatched for a, for, for a set of games in January. I can't remember one. No. I, I, just, I was just looking. QPR's home form... Is the worst in the league. Thirteen games at home, only won nine points from thirteen games. That is that you have to go to QPR and win. But our away form's nearly as dreadful as their home form. So you know, anything. I guess anything could happen. But <clears throat> I think Blackburn will probably more play into our hands. I think Blackburn. I think Young Dal Thompson's under quite a bit of pressure. So I think they'll try and win the game. I think they'll have a proper go at us, which will, as you rightly say, probably play into our hands at the moment. I think QPR on Wednesday. I think they'll sit and say, "Come and get it, come and get it." And you know, well, I even think, at all, you think QPR will do that at home, guys? I, just... I do, yeah, yeah, I do. I think they'll be, I think they'll be really cagey, really cautious. Wednesday at our place. Wednesday will take a point all day long away at home against a relegation rival. I think Wednesday will take a point all day long. And and if any, if if Saturday was anything to go by, having sixty odd percent possession, it'll, it'll lead to an out anyway, will it? So. You know, I, I said to you before these game, before these four games, I think nine points a minimum. After that, we've got Southampton away, Sunderland at home, 
Hull at home, Watford away, Leeds at home, Cardiff away. Tell me where tell me where a point is coming from out of them games. I mean, we you know, we, we went to the Sunderland game, didn't we? And and that was a proper smash and grab. I can't see that being a repeat. I really can't. They're they're banging form. Saints are flying, they just pumped Wednesday 4-0 on Saturday. Hull are bringing in some real quality. Watford blow hot and cold, but they've got some quality on the day. Leeds, well, I'm dreading that. They're just going to come and absolutely steamroll us out there at home. And then Cardiff is always a difficult place to go. So, you know, if we don't take nine points, it could be a very long, very long February and March. Ah, oh dear. Anyway, our good friend Nick couldn't be bothered turning up tonight. Some NHS or something like that. God knows what. But he's uh, he's decided to uh, let us know his ramblings and given his two penneth, which we always accept on Huddersfield Town Social. Hi, guys. Uh, unfortunately, I can't be on the pot tonight. Um, it's my wife's birthday, and I'm, to be frank, more scared than her than I am you guys, so it's always going to be a winner. But I had to come on and just give my thoughts on the game. <sighs> I mean, what a fucking shambles. Quite a decent crowd, I thought, turned up, expecting... After the buzz of the new signings, we wrote Man City off anyway, so no one's really bothered about that. But with these new signings coming through the door, we thought, right, come on, we've got an opponent at home who's never won away from home. It's got a really good chance of getting three points. We look at the team sheet, and then Bojan's injured. <laughs> it's classic town. The new striker's injured. Of course he is. But even with that, you know, I, I just thought, this is a game that we really have to win. Plymouth are so poor away from home. They've got a new manager, yes, so maybe a bit of a new manager bounce there. But we have to take the initiative at home. We started okay, but then in typical town style, we just completely switch off. It's a good ball in from the left from Mumba, but nobody picks up Whitaker at the back post. Everyone's ball watching, and it's just a simple finish. Bang, 1-0. And then, to be honest, we might have all just gone home, because history tells you... We've never come back from a goal down to win a game all season, so why change that now? Did well enough, I guess, to, to get the goal back. It was a def- decent finish from Karoma. Alex Matos, I, I impressed with him again. He, 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 you know, he's a tenacious, good battler. Wins the ball, and it's a nice finish with Karoma on, on left foot into the far corner. But the second half, I'm sorry... We're drawing level against a, such a poor side, right? No disrespect to Plymouth, but that you know teams like that around us, we have to take the initiative. And you're thinking, right, let's get into them at half-time and let's go out there, make a statement, pepper the goal with shots, get another goal, get it won. And what do we do? We're just sidewards, backwards, passing. Absolutely no desire to win that game in the second half whatsoever. I think we had, what, one or two shots on target the entire half. We had four shots on target all game, by the way, which, to be fair, is two better than our average under Darren Moore, just two shots a game. But I'm sorry, that's nowhere near good enough against that kind of opposition. Yes, all right, Plymouth, they have a bit of pace, they pose a threat on the counter-attack, but we can't just go into our shell, pass it about the back, just afraid to do anything in case we concede a goal. At some point, we have to go for it. The defenders pick up the ball. There's nobody making any runs. There's no one giving a different option. There's no movement. There's no idea. There's nothing. It's boring. Sidewards, backwards, sidewards, backwards. 
and rightly there were boos at the final whistle because people are just fed up. I'm fed up. You know, I've I've really been. I wouldn't say supporter of Darren Moore. You know, it was a solid appointment when he came in. I understood it because his winning ratio was decent. You know, he had experience at championship level and you look at the squad and, and to be fair, again, you look at the bench and you think it is poor. It is really, really poor. But the mark of a good manager or coach is somebody who gets the best out of what they've got available and you start to see some improvement. You start to see an identity, a plan. And I'm sorry, but... Barring those last few games, you know, against Blackburn and Borough where we seem to have a bit more about us, we've just reverted back to type again. And these next three games are massive. You know, I was predicting maybe seven to ten points, no, not ten, sorry, seven to nine points out of the, out of the next four games. Because you look at the games that we've got afterwards and, it, and it's frightening, to be honest. If we can't get results against these teams, how the hell are we going to get a result away at Southampton? So you think, right, come on, let's get the win against Plymouth and get that a really good foundation then to kick on. We've got Blackburn, who are poor, albeit away from home, but they're in disarray. Then we've got Sheffield Wednesday, slightly difficult, but again we're at home. QPR, we've got a chance, we've got a chance to get them points on the board, really kick off, get some distance between us and the bottom, and then we put in that sort of performance. Second half, absolutely awful. I don't know what I don't know what to say. Kevin come out with his tweet saying not good enough. Well, I I couldn't agree more, Kev. To be honest with you, I couldn't agree more. But what are we actually doing about it? You know, there's no good sending these tweets out and then he did a a, a video answering questions and kind of backtracked a bit on more, saying, "Well, yeah, but we've got to give him time." But then what? Why send Why send the tweet out? Why send that tweet out? But then send that out afterwards because all you're gonna do is rile the fans up. The fans want to see something change. I I hope to God we get some new signings through the door. We've already started. Moore came out with some bollocks about oh it's we 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 had a couple of targets, but for issues nothing to do with Huddersfield Town, but issues are not coming up. We've heard all this before. We've heard this before, and then we've ended up getting to last day of the transfer window. And getting nobody through the door. And I tell you now, if that happens this window, we might as well all pack in and just accept relegation. Because this squad isn't anywhere near good enough. We need at least another three or four players through the door to give us squad depth, to give us competition for players. No one's got any competition. You know, if you have a bad game, it doesn't matter, does it? Because you're guaranteed to start next game. We need at least three or four options Albeit, you know, either either to, to go on to the bench if uh, maybe sort of young premiership players to sort of rotating, or ideally some experienced championship players, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm 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 lost for words. I don't know. I don't know where we go from here. You know, it's obvious where the problem lies. We've scored two goals or more in a game three times under Darren Moore in twenty one games. Just three times in twenty one games. And yet, you know, we won all those games, right? But we've only kept a clean sheet three times in 21 games. So the fact that we only score one goal a game on average, as soon as we concede, we might as well, that's it. We're, we're, ne- we're never going to win the game. We do not offer enough going forward. There's no creativity. When the ball goes in the box, there's only one player stood in the box. You look at Plymouth, right? I'm, I'm going to watch the highlights back again. 
I don't know why, I'm just glutton for punishment. I, th- I think I just enjoy punishing myself. But I'm going to look back again, and I'm pretty sure nearly every attack there, Plymouth, they've got two or three players in that box, right, ready to get on the end of it. When we have an attack, there's one or two players there. So unless it's a pinpoint cross, not go- it's not going to reach anybody. It's not good enough. Get in the box. Get two, three, four players in that box. And then if anything drops down, anything could happen. You could get a knockdown, could get a deflection. Anything could happen, but if you don't gamble, you don't win. And at the moment, we are not gambling enough. We're not aggressive enough. We don't want it enough on the pitch, and it's showing. So, guys, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's going to be a great pod tomorrow, I'm sure. My question for you guys is, you know, have you lost any kind of shred of faith left in Darren Moore? Because I'm, I'm losing patience rapidly with these kinds of performances. Do we need to give him more time? And what are we? What do we need in January to sort this out? Because at the moment, if we carry on like this, we're going to lose half the fan base because people are vast getting fed up. Would you play the same formation? I mean, he seems shoehorning players into this three-five-two. Spencer right back done really well. Oh, let's put him at left centre back. What? Get him at right back. That's his position. Get him there. Play players in the right position. Not shoehorning players into a system just to fit your 3-5-2 when it's not even working. Change it. Try something different. Put the players in the natural positions. Yeah, I know we don't have a striker. But there must be something that we can do to change this, to create more. Oh, I don't know, guys. But listen, enjoy the conversation tomorrow. Um, and, and I'll be back on soon but yeah just a bit of food for thought there and uh, and yeah let me know what you guys think cheers right well thank you very much Nick uh, for somebody who didn't know what they could say that was a good 10 minutes of uh, waffle but we love it anyway um, cheers for that anyway um, there's there's much more to kind of digest into with that rant love it um, and it probably starts Kind of from that, not good enough, not good enough, and that's what the moustache man tweeted out after the game. Um, probably because you know, in all the times where he's been involved in his little Twitter battles, he's probably actually not sat and watched it in, in the stadium itself. But it, it's quite bold for somebody who seems to defend a manager, talk about patience to kind of tweet that kind of thing, and that's uh ultimately what Neil Warnock reacted to and then uh, ended probably his, his tenure at Huddersfield Town, if we're being brutally honest. But what what do we make of Kevin Nagel's uh, kind of reaction post-game? It, it doesn't strike me as a man who is actually very patient. No, well, he's had a bit of stick from town fans around his social media interaction, haven't they? I think there's a few now saying it's unprofessionally shouldn't be online. I love it. I think it's great. And I think the video diaries he's been doing with with Dave Dave Vig Dave Vigel, Carmichael, whatever his real name is. I think they've been great. And I say I've got a new saying after watching the last video, from your lips to God's ears. And what a great line. I'm going to be using that regular now in, in many business meetings going forward. So I don't think anybody who works for me listens to this, but if you do, I can guarantee it's coming to a coming to a meeting near you soon. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he tweeted that out and, and of course, that then set the hairs running a million people assuming that means that Mr Moore was on his way and then he he, 
he moonwalked like Michael Jackson backwards into his posh Leeds hotel room so Dave could fill me saying, no, that's not really what I meant. That's not really what I meant. Um, I mean, what is interesting He's changed a little bit of tack, which I think you, you've you mentioned before, Ian. That he's gone from saying he is the man to he's the man right now. You know, I also know if he stopped talking about the squad, because after the Norwich debacle, when he tweeted about that result, he then con- consequently tweeted about the squad is better than this. It should be performing better. I know he stopped saying that now as well. So, so maybe he's realised that actually the squad isn't better than it is. But he did say in his his hotel room. He looked very. He looked, he looked like he had eight pints. By the way, his tie was all bedraggled to one side. It's, um, it does. it's like a jolly yeah. boy's outing, isn't it? It's like all the people are and they got to meet. I love it. Honestly, even Dave's come over. They've smashed yeah. a few babies, and then he's got a bit aggro. And he's got on his Twitter. Yeah, it's expected us to to win. He expected us to play better. He wasn't happy with how we've played. He talked about the backwards football. Um, he's lining us up now for the potential disappointment of not getting as many signs as we want, talking about listening into a call with an arrogant CEO who they'd done a deal with a guy and he was coming and then the CEO said, well, I'm not selling him to you. So, I mean, it's it's, it's great stuff. It's it's proper, in Huddersfield terms, blockbuster, isn't it, this stuff? it's I'm sure people who watched um, Man City, the Man City Netflix documentary, don't probably feel the same way, but... I think that the, the really interesting thing for me out of out of all of that was that he kept he did talk about um giving Darren the type of players he needs to play the type of football he wants, which is and I quote, attack orientated. But I think if you speak to any West Brom fans and Sheffield Wednesday fans, that's not how they describe describe Darren Moore's style of football. So yeah, there's a there's a little bit of confusion. I, I think Having seen it with his own eyes, watching it on a video, watching it on a stream in your in your home in Sacramento, with your feet up on the table eating your breakfast, I think, and then sitting in the ground and feeling the feeling the vibes and the noise and and, and just seeing the performance with your own eyes probably gave him a very different perspective. So that's probably what prompted his reaction. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I love it, mate. I think it's great, honestly, because it's better than the football. That's for sure. I love it. I absolutely love it as well, guys. Honestly, when he when he gives it big on Twitter, but I did. I had to check it once, Sander. At first, I thought, "Is it? It's not Kevin, is it? Not again? Surely he's learnt from last time he did it and and won at bit and didn't like it. Surely, surely he's not done it again. Yeah, he has. And then Darren Moore had to do a press conference, didn't he? Afterwards, where he got asked about it, he did a post match presser, which I'd listened to because Darren Moore didn't need to go to bed for a few hours. But he had a press conference after that before uh, Nagel then clarified what he meant. Which did seem pretty rushed. He left the game and got back to his hotel and leaves pretty quick, didn't he? To put that out. Um, but like you say, guys, I think being in the stadium and listening to the groans, you understand how everybody feels about it. And you can't get that when you when you're watching on TV from America. You just can't. And I think he got carried away. We all get carried away with football. Um, and you can you break it down, it's a group of men chanting songs for 11 lads that are under the age of 30. It doesn't make any sense if you write it down, but when you're there, your passion's alive and you can't explain why you feel like you do. And it's the same thing for Kevin Nagel to come over and see English football and see how complex it is when it comes to the playing side of it. And when the fans are booing, and in a few weeks you've got to release season tickets to see how next season budget's going to be, you shit yourself. And I genuinely think... The change in con- the change in the I need to be very careful. I say this. The changing way, the changing way he's communicating 
in regards to Darren Moore be the right man for the job now, leading into these next few games, is so important because, yeah, season ticket sales are going to have to happen. And when you hear the fans boo and don't want Darren Moore there and then the football results aren't happening, you can't get the guys in that you want, apparently because CEO decided it's all, it's all amalgamating into a position here where Darren Moore's tenure at Uddersfield Town is in question because of the direct link to season ticket sales next year. But that's my opinion. I might be wrong. But I think that's the change in tact because that, he's been here now. Kevin's here. He's seen how people are. He's had the questions from Oggy on Radio Leeds, which I think we'll speak about in a little bit. He's got to be aware, well, well aware of how you can say it's the vocal minority, Dean, if you want to. But when every, when there's so many boos, and most of the proper boos, like Greg's, he's gone. Greg ain't even there at that point. It's not him. It's more happy clappers there giving it, giving it the boo at the end of the game. You have to take notice. He's a good businessman. He's very successful in what he does, clearly, because none of us are in a position where we can afford to buy Huddersfield Town, but he's managed to get himself there. He's a clever, a clever, clever bloke. He's adapting the way he, he owns the club in a way that gets better by the day for me. I think he's really likable when he talks. You can't help but compare him to when Dean Alcom used to come out and, and say something when fan base really exploded and were really angry with it. Dean all knew what to do. He called it a hand grenade. Something about a grenade where you just go in, throw it in, let it explode. At least it won't be the same shit it was before. And I feel like that moment might be coming here a little bit for, for Kevin Nagel, just with the first tract of him changing tact with the way he's speaking about the club. Again, the squad, it, it, it used to be better than this, but now it's not. Now we need six new signings. I will point out that a lot of us said this at the beginning of the season, and at that point we were told to leave it to the experts. So I'd like a little apology on that one, to be honest, because <laughs> there were a few of us very open that this squad was not good enough for this division. Clearly it's not. With these strength, with the strengthening that we're expecting, maybe it can become it. But as of now, still, unless Radulovic bags ten in the next ten games, I think we're, we're pretty short. But Kevin seems to be adapting and changing and understanding the fan base a little bit better. He's here, he's feeling it and tasting it and, and understanding how how it works. But I can't get enough of his documentaries. Honestly, I absolutely love it. I just hope this is more all access, not access all areas. What is it? The, the one I was in. I'll quickly drop that one in there. Which which one was that, guys? What was that, what's that called? I can, I'm, yeah, I can, you, YouTube superstar Ian Kilroy. Buying a club in 10 days, whatever it was, right? They seem to, I don't know if, the, I don't know if the, the camera guys have been around to, to keep on with that, because I love that as well. The more content we can get with Huddersfield Town, the more we can scrutinise and work out what's kind of going on. Because they can try and put it out as productive, as product, like with as many production oversight as they want but you can see and get a sense of what's actually going on I absolutely love it I think it's great and I really like Kevin he comes across really likeable but ultimately it comes down to what goes on in the field and that requires money being put in to bring the players that we need to win now it's alright talking about we're here to win we're here to win we're here to win winning costs money and as the owner it's your job to make sure there's enough there to make the team win and as of now we're short um, Kevin spoke about patience with with good old Darren Moore and um, I, I you know I, I'll be honest I, I didn't bother listening to, to that interview until today um, and it it was quite telling how many fans were getting in contact with Radio Leeds saying what are you going to do about the manager what are you going to do about the manager and I, I think the thing that sums it up is the bloke behind us who basically said he came I can't remember what game it was it was maybe the last home game just to boot out, and if you 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 kind of you your proper fans 
are coming just to do that. The ones who go home and away, you know you've got a problem. So, I mean, the question is, 21 games into his tenure, uh, three wins, nine draws, nine defeats, a worse record than Buzz Lightyear, which I never thought we'd, we'd see the like of again. Is Darren Moore the man? Because, because from my opinion, um, it's completely changed. And I will just say what, what I think, because if you'd have offered us at the end of last season when we'd stayed up and said, oh, Darren Moore's going to leave Wednesday, come, come to us, I'd, I'd probably have bitten your hands off. But then when you hear what Wednesday fans thought about it and said about it, that squad should have probably pissed it and, and gone straight up um, without having to beat Barnsley in the playoffs. You kind of start uh, going back on yourself and thinking, have we actually chosen the right man? And I was going back through the last 10 managers and, and realistically, bar Carlos Corberan, David Wagner, was a bit of research into those those appointments. And even Mark Robbins, to an extent, going back a decade, I think Mark Robbins was was harshly done by by Dean Oyl, who just didn't want to invest at that time. And our our favourite former CEO, hashtag blowjob, um, was willing to put that money into the club. We've not really done any due diligence with signings uh, of, of managers, even though they say they will do. But more was definitely what was available. Are they going to toe the lines? So a lot of a lot of waffle in there, but ultimately, is more the man. And are we actually going to see uh, a pulling of the the cloth from underneath him in the next kind of two weeks? Because realistically, it should have already happened if you're going to bring new new players in. Yeah, well, when you finish slagging Mark Fotheringham off, by the way, he's been appointed as second assistant coach to career today. So I'll uh, I'll tell him to expect your apology in the post, Greg. I mean, Gaz, Gaz, did, did Mick Wadsworth end up at DR Congo not long after he left town? So they can always get the jobs internationally, can't they? Yeah, that is true. That is true. International? You don't even have to go that far. Have we just appointed as our BT manager today? What's he called? Do we, is it... Russell, Kevin Russell. Kevin Russell. Kevin Russell. Formerly known yeah. as the assistant manager of Cheltenham Town, who went 15 games at the beginning of this season without winning and scoring two goals. So... You don't even have to go abroad to get a, yeah. to get a job, especially if you've worked at Stoke City. It seems it seems like there's plenty of takers around here. But I think if you go all the way back to Stanton, and that were an awful appointment, won it? And then Cywork was a pretty dodgy one as well. Schofield came in after Corbyn went backed as, as as he wanted to be backed, and Fotheringham came. But again, it worked with Corbyn, worked with Wagner. It went it went all right with those guys. Darren Moore's come in again. I'd have been happy, Greg. I'm with you, man. If we'd have brought him in at the beginning of the season. You're thinking, yeah, okay, Warnock came, did his job, went on his way, fine, did exactly what we expected of him, no problem. Darren Moore's come in, he got Sheffield Wednesday promoted, even with what Sheffield Wednesday fans said, it's still hard to say that it's a poor appointment at that point. You think, ah, fine. Yeah, it still feels to me like it wasn't that he, he we wanted him at the time we appointed him. It was more that we didn't want Warnock anymore, right? We wanted to have some sort of movement and, and a longer-term strategy, as I think the club's, the club's suggested, but... He's definitely seen to me appears to be the most first team coach appointment that we've got. He's not really bringing the players in, and every other time it was like they had quite a big say in who they wanted to bring in, and I don't feel that anymore. But I don't know if that's just I don't know what you guys think on that. But it, it doesn't feel like he's the manager that we used to have anymore. And I know Dean all used to say we we build a culture and we have a big team to bring in the players behind the scenes, and the coach is kind of replaceable, and they have to work with the players we sign. But he always has the final say. I'm not entirely sure if it's at that same... Well, it can't be at the same level anymore, can it? Because we have an entirely new um, transfer committee as well. Emir Hughes, is it Emir Hughes who left? And 
we we lost we lost lost quite a few guys from from well, Lee Bromby obviously obviously went too, and it's an entirely new system. Um, but like you say, is it the case of he was willing to work with what we we were providing, and and that's kind of why he was partially seen as the right man for the job for us. Well, I think I said at the time when Cartwright was appointed, <clears throat> I've got a couple of mates who are Stoke fans, and and you know they thought it was hilarious. They couldn't believe the bloke has managed to to garner his way to another director of football job in, in, at this level. You know he he did an absolutely appalling job at Stoke, and and so far, and it's really difficult to a bit like people saying when well, you can't judge Darren Moore because he's not had a, a you know a transfer window to shape his team. I guess in some ways you've got to say the same about Cartwright, but. You know, if Kevin Russell is a level of the appointment he thinks we need, that's a bloody worry for me, a real worry. And and I've said before, look, I, I was delighted when Darren Moore was appointed. I thought it was a good, solid appointment. But I would expect a good, solid EFL manager with something about him to get more points out of 20 games than he has done. And, and that's my worry. He doesn't show any capacity or capability to work with that team. He does feel like, Ian, that his appointment wasn't wasn't it? It just feels like it wasn't given due diligence. And we've talked about this before where it almost feels like he hadn't done any due diligence either. The fact he was playing Yuta Nakayama in centre midfield in his second game in charge, I'm like, what where, What have you been looking at? So, you know, that that really is, and, and I think for me, I've tried, to, I've tried to give the bloke the benefit of the doubt, but Saturday was the turning point. And I'm not sure he's going to, we've talked about whether he'll win the fans back or not, Ian, before, but I don't think, I'm not sure he can he can stop the rot. Even with three, four, five more bodies in the building, can he stop the rot? And the problem is we're going to let January run to see what happens, to see whether whether he does turn it round, whether we do bring the right bodies in. But because of the run of games we've got in January, it's suicide. But are there he's caught Kev's caught between the devil and the deep blue scene now. If he blows the block out, yeah, exactly. I I think now he has no choice but to go with this. Well, and just it. hope it's beyond hope it keeps us up. It's the same as the roads thing, isn't it? We've got to go with it now. This is it. Moore's here. We've got to back it. Moore. Still, still makes a laugh, Greg. Moore. Moore. Sh- Darren Moore's shy army. That still cracks me up every time I listen to it. But we're stuck with him. We, we've got lost up. That's maybe a bit unfair, but we have him. We can't get rid of him. He, he's got to be backed properly, given a chance to stay in this division. My problem, I think, is isn't even necessarily with him, right? Darren Moore. Is is Moore is a a defender, right? He was a great defender. Who are the what? Who's the attacking coaches at the club at the moment? Do we actually know who who's there behind the scenes helping us kind of formulate some plan to attack games? Because on Saturday it looks like we have no passages of play going forward. We just it just looks like it's non-existent. I know we've got a set piece specialist that seems to have removed all ability of Sorba Thomas's corner taking from last season, um, but we don't seem to have anybody there who can kind of create possession and, and, and attacking attacking little players. Carlos Corbin had very clear passages of play. You could see it clearly. And it won his game after game after game. I don't see that at the moment with Darren Moore. And maybe yes, that's down to the, the personnel instead of, of the coaching. But again, it just it just it doesn't fit for me. And like you say, because I'm not entirely sure he could win the games win the fans back even if he won games. Um, I don't think his appointment is a fit for our club. Just because of the way he's with fans, we require a, we kind of we're fans that follow, and that's why Kevin Nagel comes across so well. I don't know, maybe not to Greg, I get that, but to most most fans, he, he's quite affable and and personable and and nice, and he seems honest in the way he answers his questions. But 
I think we need that. We need a, a very charismatic leader. We had it with David Wagner. And and when have we ever been more motivated as a fan base than then? And okay, winning games does help, especially so. But again, in his first few games where we weren't winning, you could sense the difference. You could see the fan base totally changing because they had belief in the coach to lead us. We don't have that with Darren Moore. Maybe he can learn it. I'm not entirely sure he can. I don't think he's that kind of coach. But we need that as a fan base, and especially not if we're winning games. And at the moment, winning games look so far away, all you can do is question the the structure behind the scenes in, in regards to the, the coaching team. And he's got a long way to go, I think, to, to win to win fans over. So when we do struggle at home, we don't get booing. That, that's kind of what he's up against. And the, the, the foundation of this were built, guys, at Leeds when he didn't wave and storm down the tunnel. Yes, the fans were singing. There's only one Neil Warnock, one Neil Warnock. But you've got to act, you've got to have thicker skin than that. And you have to go and appreciate the fans that aren't chanting that. Because if you don't do those simple things, it makes it very easy for fan bases to find issues with your methods of coaching the team. And that's where he's found himself now. And that's where Nagel kind of has to manage that situation. And, and he's being put into a position or a position coming up if we don't win these next games. It's going to be very difficult for him to, to, to not do something radical. But like you say, we're stuck now. It's going to be too late to bring new players in. I don't know. This is this is so important. And when again the, the the cost of the championship compared to to League One is so vast, and the incomes you get so different, it's so important for the town's short to medium term future to stay in this division. The gamble's massive, and I'm happy I don't have to kind of make those decisions because I won't be sleeping at night. It's 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 tough. It's going to be tough for them to work out to get themselves out of this problem. I think. I just don't have the confidence though that, that Darren Moore has got it in him. If you give him if you gave him more players, has he got it in him? The fact that you know a blind man on a galloping horse could see the game was there for the taking Saturday. And his change was Tom Io Pender, like for like. That was it. That was it. And and I just I've just not found the last you know, I'm I'm slightly frustrated because I do think that during the um the Borough game and the Blackburn game, all right, we're now established that Blackburn are probably terrible. Actually, I, I felt a little bit of encouragement during both of those games. I actually felt like we were starting to play a little bit more on the front foot and we had a bit of something about us. But, you know, if we can't break down a team that were as poor as Plymouth are and he can't as a coach, even with limited resources, find a way to break down a team as poor as Plymouth are, then I, I don't really have any hope for him, I'm afraid. I think, I think for, so for me, he's... You know, I'm done. If if he left, I wouldn't I won't blink an eye. I'd, but I have a horrible feeling he's not going anywhere, and he's going to be here for the rest of the season either way. Well, I'm 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 just saying, I Kevin Agle sounded a bit tetchy on Radio Leeds when he was consistently asked about Darren Moore. Might be because he was a bit bored of it and probably thought he answered it. But there are a lot more questions still around. Um, whoever's leading the football club at the minute. And interesting that not a lot of that was actually talked about in that Radio Lee's interview. There's a lot about transfers, a lot about Darren Moore. I, quite interestingly for me, actually, there was a lot about the future of the club and the, trying to bring the income streams in. Um, champion, securing championship football is probably the most key thing for that. I think talk of you know Towns Hospitality being quite cheap, but then again, our season tickets are quite cheap. and I don't think you're going to get tight-fisted Yorkshiremen to uh, pay thousands of pounds for a for a box for um not I'll be honest having had food there I think it improved in the Premier League but pretty 
pretty bang average stuff that you would pay 20, 30 quid for a club dinner, whatever club, football, cricket or whatever it is. But uh, there was a lot in that interview to digest about sustainability, what the income streams, stadium, you know, talk of Far Town, uh, sorry, Giants wanting their own stadium again uh, and that. You both listened to it. What, what were the key things that you took out of it? Because there's, there's still too many unanswered questions for somebody who's come into a club has been involved for the last six months. I just don't think, I think there's a lack of clarity about the future. There's a lot of talk about what to do with the stadium, what to do about the town, but there's a lot of other stuff that, that needs to happen with the town and, and uh, itself, um, concerts, etc. the kind of facilities of the town to cope with. Couldn't even cope with Muse uh, last summer. Um, the, the taxi queues were two, three hours long. So, I'm not sure how he's going to be able to do that unless he actually jumps into bed with Kirkley's council and uh, puts some money in himself. Mm, well, my views on Kirkley's council are about as positive as my views on Darren Moore. So I'm not entirely sure getting into bed with them is a right good idea, to be honest. But yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I, I think he he got he obviously got slightly irritated at the constant. I think, in fairness, Oggy was doing his best, I think, to convince him to sack him. Oggy, but I'll just be wearing a t-shirt saying, "Please sack Darren Moore." I think Oggy's getting sick to sick of being asked, isn't he, on Twitter? Um, but yeah, I think oh, I, I'm. I like that kind of thing. So I'm encouraged by the fact he's actually building a plan around future revenues and future proof in the uh, the club. You know, the ownership of the stadium was obviously a a point that was discussed, and and I think it's clearly a a sensitive stage now between Ken Davy and the council and the club. Um, I mean, I, I guess the only thing I would ask is that was really unclear is, well, yeah, but who's going to own the stadium? You know, Dean still owns Canal Side and he was a bit vague on that as well when when he was pressed. There's clearly a deal in place for us to be able to buy it at some point if the club wants to, but they clearly don't have the cash to do that now. He was more or less saying, well, it's it's either Canal Side or it's players, so which one would you like? Um, and that would be my other way of these developments. You know, the, that gym was losing half a million pounds a year. Uh, he ain't going to fund five hundred thousand pound a year losses to to keep local people be able to go swimming. I just it makes no sense. And he was talking about energy saving light bulbs as if that's going to make a, a vast difference. But well, I, I like the fact he's at least got some ambition for the club. He's got some ambition for the the infrastructure because you're right, Greg. We have to stay up. We have to stay in the championship for our our own sake. But actually, in the medium to longer term, we do have to find a way to to drive more revenue. I think the sports bar idea is a, a genius one. I think actually, as somebody who would genuinely go and sit in the sports bar and, and eat chicken in a basket and drink a beer, watching American football on jumbotrons, that you know, I actually see that. Think you know, so I think he's got some good ideas, but I'm not really sure we learned very much beyond what he'd already told us, unless uh, of course Ian's a personal friend of Kev, so. Maybe he knows a bit more than we do from it. No, I again, I thought Oggy asked the right questions. I thought he asked everything I could really think of. And Kev's got a bit of a tell when he doesn't really want to give an answer away. I don't know if any of you's worked it, anyone else has worked it out yet, but he always says, I will say this. I will say this. I'm here to win. And that's kind of that's his throwback. It's I'm here to win games. Yeah, I want to win games as well, Kevin. But how are you gonna do it, man? What's the plan? I understand the commercial revenue gap between us and other championship clubs are massive. Like Bristol City being like 16 million quid or something when it comes to commercials. And we're not even close to that. 
that is an important part to target 100%. And how are we going to do it? I don't know. He's he's the guy that's got to work that out. He's talking about bringing all these consultants in. I think we spoke this. But again, I've been to it. For context, I've been to a few meetings with Kev. Kev, as, as, as I like to call him. I've been to a few meetings with him in the ATT meetings and stuff and, and put questions to him. I've sat next to Jake Edwards and asked him a few questions. I asked him about the stadium shares, um, which he didn't know the answers. So I'll, I'll break it down a little bit now. But the club don't want to put any more money into the stadium, I don't think. Or, or not as not not all the money into the stadium until they own 100% of it. And I get that. I get it. I think, is it the, the figures on, on what's required to get the stadium up to a level that it's needed to, to extend its life cycle? Is it 14 million now? I think before it was eight to 10, and then that was a few years ago, and it's worked its way up and way it's up. Say it's just say 10 million. Town don't want to put 10 million in because they only have 40% of it. The council don't want to put any more money into it. That's fine. But then you've got the Giants as a problem, and I don't guess they can afford to put that money in. Well, the money does need to be put in. So the answer is always going to be town taking it on. Town are looking, I think, to take it on to improve the commercials, right? They're looking at doing other things with the stadium. That's how Kevin refer has referred to it previously in meetings. The stadium is really important to Kevin. I get it. Canal side, I think the the mention there, guys, was the rent was so favourable that it wouldn't stop town investing in Canal side, not owning the land. So town not owning Canal side isn't a big deal, according to Kevin. We have an option on it if we want to buy it. It's a timed thing from Dean. We don't have to take it if we don't want. And even if we didn't, it wouldn't stop us investing in it. Um, the academy was another thing that was brought up. Apparently, I think we're at a category four now. Previously, we were at category category two under Dean Oil. We reverted that back to a category four. Within the next few months, we'll be back at category three. I'm not entirely sure how, how, what that means for, for levels of teams and, and what age groups you have. Um, but the intention then next year is to get back to the level above, I think he said. And we can have the maximum um, number of age groups at that point. So to me, that, that suggests category two. Again, that has to be clarified by Kevin. And I couldn't be more for that. We've spoken openly, Greg, you and I, before you went on your hiatus. Um that it's really important to have the academy. It's important for the local uh, fan base, and it just just so many so many advantages to having the academy, especially considering the exp how expensive players are. Uh, and now, like Leeds, are, I think they've got another centennial Leeds now. who's looked at forty million quid. He's playing at Championship level, looking at forty million for him. You'll need one of them. It runs your academy for what twenty years, twenty five years. Town closed ours, and after then, you look at all top goal scorers in League Two. They're all our guys. They're all our old guys that played for us. There's so many players knocking about that actually played in our, our academy, like Josh Windass and, and players like Matt Crooks, that we actually closed and then they came to fruition because it does take a long time for it to kind of to work. And if Kevin's looking at that, that to me says he's got a long-term commitment and that's exactly what you want when it comes to an owner. I do wonder if Joe got unblocked and I hope that Kevin gets his pint. That's all I'm... That's that's the next kind of cliffhanger that we're leaving ourselves to. Um, I, I do you know what I'd, I'd love to sit, you know, I'd love to sit down with Kevin. I'll just ask, have some clarity over the, like, the plans because I, it's one of the things that a lot of people have like, why, why the hell has he jumped into this world? Because um, just on the academy, I think you have to be category three now to get into the Premier League. So if you cat four, you're a bit foobard. Um, but it, it, that there's a lot of stuff. The HD one has fallen flat on its ass. Like it's never going to happen. It was a 20th century problem uh, solution to a 21st century world that we live in. You know, it's probably you know there's probably a bit of housing and money to be made down there if Kev wants some hotels and that. I, I suspect he could build a very good empire for himself. But I, I, I do have a feeling if he's trying to get that turnover in the next few years, he's going to struggle because where, where I work, we looked at doing the uh, a, a conference down at the stadium, 
it's too far. It, it has to be said that the stadium is just a bit too far out of town. We we're going to have to put a bus on from the state from the St George's Square down there. So I don't know if location for sports bars or whatever is going to hold the club back. But that's the aside from all the kind of on the pitch stuff. I think that's probably the most exciting bit because I think if they get that right, I think it town could actually be sustainable. But it would have to be Kevin putting all the money in uh, and. I don't think he's going to will, be willing to do that unless he gets a sweetheart deal with uh, the relevant people. And I still want to know where the Giants are going to put a stadium, but that's a sort of a question for another day. Anyway, um, big games coming up. Thank you very much for listening. As ever, interact with us on um, Space Karen's little toy, whatever it's called these days. It used to be Twitter, now it's X. Next week, it might be something else. Pornhub, who never, whoever knows. Gaz, Ian, thank you very much for your time. Very, thank you very much for listening. If you ever want to interact with us, if you want to come on, just let us know and we'll get you on, as long as you're not a dickhead. Peace. <laughs>